a wonderful children's program, youth program, didn't we? Praise God. Again, Tim's in the back, but we want to thank Tim. We want to thank all, Pastor Jordan, all who were involved. Because um, uh, Mike and I were sharing this morning, and one of the things he was telling me is that when you plant those seeds in a young heart, it's, their hearts aren't as hard as after they've walked in the world a while. So keep planting those seeds, Donna, and, t- and your husband, and those who work with our kids. All right, and as I've, um, this morning, we'll actually get to the completion of our study on the Beatitudes. And as I've said from the beginning of the study, we can liken the Beatitudes to an ascent up a staircase as we kind of go from salvation, maturation, and sanctification in Christ. And it all begins with being poor in spirit. We have to recognize our spiritual bankruptcy and depravity. Um, and we do this through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If we read the chapter of John, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us. And as a result, we come to understand that we're separated from a holy God because of us through the redemptive work of Christ, that he is the only way to salvation, that in Christ we're forgiven, we're born again, reconciled to a holy God. We stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ and are justified before the throne. Amen. We're blessed. We're blessed. And we know with absolute assurance that there is an inheritance awaiting for us in the kingdom of God. And as we studied, we came to understand that as we make that ascent up the staircase through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we are going to mourn over our sins. And at that point, we will submit to the will of God, to the principles of God, as the Holy Spirit leads us in the sanctification process, and that we desire to live out that righteousness daily and emulate the life of this. And we'll go on until we die or are raptured by the Lord. We will continue that sanctification process. We will not arrive until we get on the other side. Amen? But now what we will see is that in our choice and desire to follow Christ and live for Christ, it will not only bring the daily challenge of crucifying the flesh and walking in the Spirit, but as we'll see, we will face a certain degree of resistance and or persecution to one degree or another in one way or another because we are disciples of Christ, all right? Listen to what Paul tells us, though, in Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not comparable to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So though we may face situations for Christ, be persecuted for Christ, They can't compare to what's going to be revealed in us. They can't compare to the hope that we have and the glories that we will experience in heaven. Amen? So with that understanding, please open up to Matthew chapter 5, and let's read verses 10 to 12 together. And I want to read these together because, again, it's a challenging subject and one we must hear. Righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we're in good company. Oh great pastor. What an encouraging message. Maybe, I'm, maybe some of my, my pastor wore off on me. He was a little hard at times but listen don't shoot the messenger. You hear me? Don't shoot the messenger because as your pastor, I have to bring you the full counsel of God's word. 
And just as I can come here and give you the absolute assurance of salvation if your faith is in Jesus Christ and all the promises of Scripture, there are messages like this that the church needs to hear. Amen? So with that said, we must understand that this beatitude has several important emphases, if you will. And the first is that it relays the message that persecution in one form or another, or one degree of another, is inevitable for the disciple of Christ. And whether you guys realize it or not, we do experience one degree of persecution. But it may not be as severe as we see some of our brothers and sisters going on in throughout the world. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.12. It says this. In fact, everyone, everyone means everyone. Amen? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, you know, uh, let me read the next scripture verse. But I see, you know, Stephen sitting back there. Their generation is up against it. They proclaim Christ, and they are living in a culture that is so anti-Christ. And listen to John 15, 18 to 21. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. This is our Lord speaking. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they don't know the one who sent me. Now, in these verses, in, um, we get in mind a, we must have an, a biblical understanding, a biblical understanding of why we go through persecution. First and foremost, listen to me, Satan hates God, and he hates all those who are made in his image, which is humankind. So he has set both barrels on humankind, if you will. And he wants to drag all men into the lake and fire, into an eternal hell. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we move from Satan's camp to the Lord's camp, he gets infuriated. It's to come against us, not only him, but those under his influence, to destroy our witness and our sanctification walk in Christ. He wants to keep us from sharing our testimony with others so that they will move from death to life. Amen? Amen. But fear not. Listen to me. Satan is a created being, and he's on a leash. He's on God's leash. Just read Job chapter 2. There is nothing he is able to do unless the Lord allows it. Do you hear me? So he is a created being, He's not equal with God, and he's certainly not more powerful or as powerful as our God. Amen? And we have to know where our battle lies. Listen to Ephesians 6, 10 and 12. Finally, be strong in who? The Lord and his mighty power. We put on the full arm of God so that we can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's Satan and his cohorts and those under his influence that are going to try to knock us off our pins, all right? And listen to 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Listen to me. He's not going to go after the one who's in a lifestyle of sin and depravity, drug addict, alcohol. They're already in his camp. He's not even going after the religious 
because he knows they're relying on religious denomination, religious rituals. Or he's not going to go after the goody two-shoes who are saying, well, I'm good enough to get into heaven. No, no, no. He's going to go after those in Jesus' camp, the born-again believer who's going to be a testimony and witness for Christ and try to knock us off our pins so as to stumble and fall and be a terrible witness to a dying world. He wants to kill our witness and our sanctification process. So he prowls around uh, looking for us. Aren't you glad? Uh, but greater is he that is in us than he's in the world. Amen? Amen? Family, all we have to do is go back to the book of beginnings. And what happens? Here is the innocent couple in the garden, and here comes the tempter. He goes after those made in God's image. And when he gets that couple to fall, in his mind, he's like, mission completed. I got him. And you know why? Because Romans 5 tells us that all of Adam's family, all of us, will be in the nature of Adam and will sin against the holy God. Therefore, he's like, got it. Got them all. They're all in Adam. They're all going to be born with a sin nature. They're all going to sin, and they will end up in my camp. They will end up under my influence, and they're going to come with me to my eternal fate. So he thought he won. Ha ha. But thanks be to God. Genesis 3.15, listen, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And what that tells us, that before the creation of the world, God knew man would choose sin, but he was not outfoxed by Satan because he is omniscient, and he had a plan to save those made in his image. He gave us a promise right in the beginning. And Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is God's rescue plan. Genesis 3, 15, that I know you're going to choose sin, mankind, but I am not going to let all of you be dragged into his influence, into his camp. I have a promise for you that I am going to send a Redeemer to save you from sin and save you from this eternal consequence. But we must see something else in the 3.15 passage, something important. There will be an offspring of the serpent, those in Satan's camp, and there will be the offspring of the woman, those in Christ's camp. Do you hear me? Those in Christ's camp from early on look by faith to the cross. We look all those who by faith believe into God's atoning work of sacrifice will be saved. Amen? The church, this evidence of the two camps didn't take long to evidence itself. All you have to do is look at Cain and Abel, the two. And what, what did Cain do? He killed his brother Abel, and we're going to see why in a second. Listen to 1 John 3.12. It says, do not be like Cain. Listen to the, what it says here. Who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Yes, Abel came to God in the prescribed way that God wanted it. A blood sacrifice, which we're going to get into. Cain, he did it by the work of his own hands, and it was not acceptable to God. And out of his jealousy, he kills his brother. And church, I must reiterate, though, that a person can cease to be an offspring of the devil and become an offspring of the woman by faith in God's appointed way, by salvation through an atoning sacrifice for sin. God instituted acceptance 
salvation through faith in a covenant of an atoning sacrifice. In Genesis 3.21, he gives us the plan. What does he do? Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves. They try to cover themselves by their own. It must be a blood atoning sacrifice. He sacrifices the animals and what? Covers them in their skins. It must be through the blood because there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. This covenant of atonement became the only means of salvation for mankind. The substitutionary blood sacrifice of animals would find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ on the cross. What did John say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he would be the fulfillment of all those blood sacrifices. Again, those ones in the Old Testament looking to that promise, and we look back at it on a saved by faith in that redemptive work. Family, this biblical fact becomes the basis and response to the respective sacrifices of Cain and Abel. In religious pride, Cain comes by his own works, but in obedience to God, Abel comes with the blood sacrifice. Listen to Hebrews 11, 1 to 4. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Did we see the cross? That we see, but we know and we believe by faith that this is what Christ did. Amen? This is what the ancients were commended for. They looked forward to that promise. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Ready? By faith, Abel brought to God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded as righteous, where God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. How does Abel still speak? He speaks to us today that we can only come to God through the blood sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for sin. He speaks to us today that the only way to be reconciled to the Father is through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So he speaks to us today, and he speaks to all men. Now we must see something very important here. Listen to the passage in Genesis 4, 6-8. A lot of scripture today. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is not right, don't do what is right. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and he killed him. Cain had the opportunity to repent. God came to him and said, do what is right. Turn from your sin. But he chose to be and stay in the camp he was in under the influence of the evil one. He gave into his flesh, and like the murderer that Satan is, he murdered his brother. But God gave him the opportunity, and God gives every one of us the opportunity to repent and turn from sin and put our faith. this important? Well, listen to the words in the Beatitude that because of righteousness... Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Why was Abel persecuted? Because of his righteousness. Because he identified and was obedient to God. So he was persecuted by those in the other camp, by his own brother Cain. Church, we must understand that not only does the evil one want to open up both barrels on us, but so do those under his influence. Cain was under the influence of the evil one. The persecution of believers comes by them and through them when the unbeliever transfers their hatred for God towards the believer because we represent the Lord. Amen? 
Our lifestyle, a righteous lifestyle, and the proclamation of the gospel is an offense to those who don't believe. It's a challenge. It's called conviction. And it becomes a chastisement, right? It becomes a chastisement of their self-centeredness, their self-will, their reliance on their own works, and their religious ritual system. So when we proclaim the gospel and we live a righteous lifestyle, it's conviction to them that the way they're doing it is not right. And they get angry. And they will transfer the anger of God's word onto the believer who's bringing it. Listen to the words in Luke 11, 50 and 51. It talks about the persecution murder of Abel, the offspring of the woman by Cain, the offspring of the devil. Listen to what it says. Therefore, this generation, which means when they use that word generation, it's this race, humankind, will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. You know what the Lord is saying? He's saying that the root of all persecution lies because you believe in me. The words of the Savior speaking to the depravity of man's heart. Can you imagine that the prophets, that these ones who followed God were persecuted because of their righteousness? They were killed because of their righteousness, but it shows the depravity of man's heart. It shows their heart and their hatred towards God, his goodness, his truth, and his holiness. So when Christians are persecuted for their faith, when the prophets were killed, it's because these people are transferring their anger towards God because they're being convicted that their sin is being found out, and so they get angry and transfer it to us instead of to the Lord. Listen to uh, Romans 1.18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed to suppress the truth by their wickedness. This term, godlessness, when it says is not following God's ways, getting angry at him. And wickedness is showing that anger towards those made in his image, those who have professed his name. So their godlessness and wickedness is being poured out, an offense towards God, an offense towards those who proclaim his name. And they suppress the truth. They don't want to know the truth. They want to continue in those sinful lifestyles. They want to believe they're good enough. They want to stand on their religious rituals so they suppress the truth and they take it out against God and those who proclaim the gospel. In John, First uh, John three eleven to fifteen, the scriptures reveal the fact that the devil was an invisible mo- motivating force behind these persecutors. Listen to it. First John three eleven to fifteen. For this message you heard from the beginning is that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain again, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So even that anger, that hatred, in God's eyes is murder. So when those who come against us for the proclamation of the gospel or for righteous living, it's as if they want to murder us because they're so angry with us. Family, there's a fact that if you are in Christ's camp, the enemy and those under influence will look to persecute us in one degree or another. Their lifestyles, their false sense of security, and underlying aversion to Christ and the gospel and the will of God are evident. They don't want to submit to God's will. 
They don't want to submit to his plan. They don't want to give up their lifestyles. Church, look around the world. Do some research. Do some research. What's taking place to our brothers and sisters around the world? Persecuted, martyred, butchered, raped, all for the name of Christ, and they don't deny him. Read the book of the martyrs. And just look at what's going on in our country in the last 30 to 50 years. You would have never, when I was a teenager, heard of two men getting married. Look what's going on, what they're pushing down our children's throat. Parents, I can't tell you enough. Make sure that you pour the word of God into your children, that you take time to pray with them and stay on top of it because the world and the educational system is trying to pour things into them that is so unbiblical, so ungodly. So protect your family. And in, in this beatitude that we're looking at this morning, Jesus gives us some insight. He gives us some insight into ways we'll be persecuted. Just look to the Savior. Look what they did to our Lord and Savior. And there are no finger pointings. Jew and Gentile were both involved in this persecution. Basically, that's all mankind. It was our sins that put him on the cross. But look how they persecuted him. And no one is above his master. Amen? Listen to verse 11 again. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil because of me. So let's look at these three areas. We will be insulted. Look what they did to the king of glory. Do you realize when he healed what the Pharisees said of him? Oh, he does it because he has the power of Beelzebub. They were calling him a devil. He was insulted. This is the Lord of glory they, who they should have known through the scriptures, and they call him a devil. And in Matthew 10, 25, it says, If the head of the house is called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? What Jesus is saying is, if they call me a devil, just think what they're going to call you. If they see the miracles and things that I'm doing in the righteous life, what are they going to say about you, my disciples? And listen to this term insult in the original Greek. It means to disparage, mock, and verbally shame someone. And it's the same word used in Matthew 27 when they hurled insults at Jesus on the cross. Ah. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? Oh, yeah, you're gonna, you said you're going to tear the temple down in three days. So why do we think it's going to happen any different with us when we stand for righteousness? They did it to him. And family, just think of some of the things we hear about Christians today. Ignorant, stupid. Go ahead, be in the school system as a science background. Say, yes, I believe in a six-day creation. Ugh, evolution. It's a joke. All right, they call us narrow-minded, naive, homophobes, misogynists because we love our wives, child abusers, money scammers, and so on. And just, again, say, say, being a crowd of people today and say, you know, I really don't believe in same-sex marriage. Oh, watch the controversy. Just erupt. My wife was at lunch, right? And uh, they were having a conversation. One of the gentlemen's a homosexual. And, um, oh, Hobby Lobby, I won't go there. They hate homosexuals. Now, they don't hate homosexuals. They might not agree with the lifestyle, right? But they insult, and they make these generalizations because we're Christians. TJ's holding up his book. There we go. How about TV shows and movie? How do they portray Christians? You ever watch Law and Order? I don't watch it anymore. Every time they show a Christian, they're a religious fanatic. They're out of their mind. They're not giving their kids medicine. They're doing something crazy, right? And unfortunately, they represent or misrepresent what real Christianity is. And I love it when you wa now watch movies on TV channels instead of in the movies because it's almost hard to. They won't cut out many cuss words, 
but they'll say the Lord's name in vain. So they'll cut out this one, this one, but then they'll use the Lord's name in vain, as if it's nothing. Probably the most hideous one that you could have. And then Jesus goes on and speaks that we'll be being persecuted. And ready in the original language means to run after, to pursue, or run out. And it's the same verb used in Matthew 23, which literally meant that they were going after Christians from town to town in order to do what? Scourge them, persecute them, kill them, or crucify them. So that's what the term persecution points to in the scriptures. Just study how 11 of the 12 apostles died. They were martyred. They were killed. Hung upside, crucified upside down, beheaded, stabbed with a sword. They were killed. Read about the persecutions of the first century church. Oh, it must have been a joy to be a Christian under, uh, under Nero and stuff. He took Christians, impaled them on poles, covered them in tar, and lit them on fire to light up Rome. They were thrown to lions. This is what the church went through, through the ages. And they say that the 20th century, out of all the centuries combined, there's been more persecution in the 20th century than ever before. And we're probably going to exceed that if the Lord doesn't tarry in the 21st century. But, Savior again. He was verbally abused, beaten, scourged, crucified, and killed. That's what they did to Jesus. Oh, what an enlightening message, Pastor. But then finally, Jesus states that people will falsely say all kinds of evil against those who belong to the church. And in history past, the things they've said about Christians, you know, we're called cannibals because we come to the Lord's table and partake of the elements that are the body and blood of Christ. They called us incestuous along the way because we call each other brothers and sisters and marry each other. So all these terms along the way is mocking, insulting, all these different things throughout history. But let me say this, church. Stand firm because his infinite grace is available. His infinite grace is available. I don't know how our brothers and sisters in those times of testing, only by the grace of God, can stand firm when a man has to watch his wife and his children brutalized and then murdered, and they ask him to deny Christ. When a kid is asked, go ahead, look it up, far-reaching ministries. His name is Wes Bentley in Africa. They tell a child, kill your mother, and if he doesn't, they're gonna, he's got to watch the rest of his family be killed. This is what's happening to Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Do you hear me? I know it's tough to hear, but we need to hear it as a church. So stand firm. First of all, let me go on now and talk to how we, may, uh, how we are to respond to persecution. What are we supposed to do when persecution comes our way? The first thing, is it coming because of righteousness? Are we rightly representing the Lord, or is it coming upon us because of an attitude, a wrong motive, a wrong word, uh, self-centeredness, pride? All right, so we've got to really check why the persecution is coming. Is it because we're representing Christ, or are we falsely or misrepresenting Christ that it's coming upon us? You ever see these guys that they hold up signs along the highway, God hates, fill in the blank? They're misrepresenting the Lord. They should be persecuted for what they say. But if you're standing for righteousness, then we accept it as unto the Lord. Amen? Listen to 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though you were something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in what? The sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed 
For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, though, it should not be as a murderer, thief, or any kind of criminal, or as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. So what he's saying here, if you suffer, it's on you. But if you're suffering for the righteousness of Christ and the name of Christ, you're blessed. Rejoice, because what will be revealed in glory? I'm, I'm ahead of myself, but there's going to be rewards for us. And we won't even know of what we will, the rewards will be for our faithfulness to our God. Amen? It's not that we do because of the rewards, but he'll have them for us because of our faithfulness. Amen? Bottom line, family, is make sure you rightly represent him in his word so that the opposite isn't true, that you're not being persecuted for the wrong reasons. But with that said, when we find ourselves being persecuted for righteousness' sake or because we bear his name, then stand strong. Don't retreat. And remember this. We're not, we may not be of this world, but we're in this world. And we were left here for a reason, to be a witness of Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost. So if we can bring one soul to Christ and it costs us a reputation, if it costs us our lives, whatever, if it costs us our treasures here on earth, if that soul comes to Christ, is it not worth it? Because nothing we can build up on this side of eternity can compare to one soul that says all of heaven rejoices over one soul that comes to Christ. Amen? Where to be his witnesses? Just look at the Apostle Paul. Read Corinthians. Read Romans. What the man went through. And I can't imagine what his rewards are in heaven. So faithful. A crown of righteousness. Let me ask you a question. You know how many Marines? I guess we saw Midway, so God put this on my heart. You know how many Marines, casualties there were at Iwo Jima? 26,000 casualties, 6,800 dead to get one small island. So what would the cost? How can that compare to the one soul? And these guys went and they sacrificed for an island. How much more is that one soul worth it? Amen? And it may cost something to share the gospel, to bring people to Jesus Christ. If we were to continue on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 13 and 14, it talks about us being salt and light. Salt flavors. Light illuminates. We're not to put our lamp under a bushel so that it's hid because we fear or afraid of persecution or mockery or insult. No, we let the light shine into the darkness so souls can be saved. Amen? We're here to be a light for Christ. There's a world dying out there. When you go into the firehouse, Al, how many of those guys don't know Jesus? Wade, when you go on a job, how many don't know Jesus? Steve, police, how many don't know Jesus? We're to be that light in the midst of darkness because we may be the only voice for Christ they ever hear. They may only be the only life that they hear. Amen? So we want to be a witness for Him. And let's go on and see and understand that we as Christians need to be aware of the fact that we may have to go through persecution to bring our persecutors to faith. Do you hear me? To bring them to faith. Because when they see the acts of the Christian in those times of testing who won't deny the Lord, it is bringing multitudes to faith in Jesus Christ. Mike, can I steal your story? Mike told us uh, Wednesday night in Egypt, 20 Christians lined up on the beach kneeled on the beach, and they were going to be killed 
if they didn't deny their faith in Jesus. One by one, beheaded, beheaded. But there's a 21st person there who was not a Christian. And I hope I get the line right. And when they came to him and said, deny Jesus, he said, if that is their God, then I put my faith in him. And he died for Christ. Because their witness, looking at these 20 people, not one denied Christ. And he gave his heart to the Lord. And guess what? Within minutes, he was in glory. Praise the Lord. Family, it's happening all over the world. And it goes back as far as the martyrdom of Stephen. Who was standing there holding the clothes as Stephen was being martyred? Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle and then got challenged by the Lord. Let me just give you a story. of uh, uh, Missionaries named Stan Dale and Phil Masters were missionaries in Indonesia to the Yali tribe. Now, they wouldn't allow anybody to speak against their religion or speak about another religion or they would be killed. And these two men went in and witnessed the gospel. And they cornered them and chased them down. Phil stood there while he told Dan to run. They hit him with 50 arrows. 50! And he still stood. They did the same to the other gentleman. And he still stood until they finally dropped and died. But when the Yalis saw how they stood firm and should have been taken down after two or three arrows, they came to faith in Christ. And so did the tribes around them. Because these men stood firm for Jesus and they saw how they acted in the midst of persecution and they gave their lives to Christ. Praise the Lord. And now Frank, the guy who was here, is ministering in Indonesia and those areas of the world. They open the doors, if you will, to these different peoples. The question is, will we act the same? Will we proclaim undivided loyalty to Christ in times of persecution, whether subtle or or extreme, so as to be the key to unlock the gospel to an unbeliever. Amen? It's all about salvation, guys. All about salvation. For many of us, we can quote Roman of the Lord. Well, what if the Lord takes us through persecution or even martyrdom so that one soul can be saved? Does that not work together for good? That that gentleman in heaven will stand and look at you and say, thank you for your faith because I believe because I saw what you went through. And I came to faith in Christ, and now I have eternal glory and hope. Amen? Praise the Lord. Family, read the Gospels. Look at the persecution of Jesus and his death. In the eyes of man, it was the worst case scenario for this preacher of Nazareth. But it was the best thing that ever happened to humankind. Amen? This is what we need to remember. This is who we need to remember in times of persecution, that we may be on the forefront and go through all of this because it can bring souls to salvation faith. And listen, we do live in the United States. We have not seen this kind of harsh persecution, but we are mocked. We are insulted. We do go through things. We could be ostracized from old friends and communities because we believe in Jesus. So it could be from one degree to another. Do I know what's coming in this country? I don't know. But all I see is that more and more there's an anti-Christian sentiment in this country. Just look at, uh, just pray, pray for our nation. Because, uh, like Mike says, one, we're one election away from me being thrown in jail. Look what they're doing in California. If you preach the biblical definition of marriage, they will throw you in jail. It's hate speech. And New York's not far behind them with this wonderful governor that we have and his views. But listen, now that I've given you some of the hard news, let's look at the good news, if you will, the rewards. First of all, the Lord may be using our time of testing, do you hear me, to prove our faith to prove our faith. He doesn't want phony balonies. He wants those who are going to truly 
claim him as Lord and Savior. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though. Now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. These have come upon you so that to prove the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, which may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we may go through these tests, trials, being persecuted for our faith to see if we're really, truly believers. And it's reiterated in the book of James, isn't it? Consider a pure joy when you go through tests, trials. Oh, family as his disciples we must faithfully cling to the biblical doctrines and faithfully cling to his name. Amen? Because when tests, trials, and persecution come, our true faith will be revealed. Will be revealed. The guys that are going to the name it and claim it, the Olstein churches of your best life now, the what's his, yeah, Rick Warren, what's going to happen when someone's standing there with a gun to their head? Are they going to proclaim Christ or are they going to cower? You better be grounded in the word and grounded in your faith. I'm not, I'm not being a naysayer, but who knows? Who knows? And listen carefully. Matthew uh, 13, 20 to 21 teaches that persecution will expose the phonies. Listen to this. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. As soon as they're challenged about the faith, out of here. Be strong in the Lord. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be strong in the Spirit. Be a strong man and woman of God so when the time of testing comes by the grace of God, we can stand firm. We can stand firm when the people at work mock us for our faith. We can stand firm. Stephen, I know I I picked you out a couple of weeks, but you are up against it, kid. In the school system, in this society where everything is topsy-turvy, that didn't happen 30 years ago, which you have to face and accept. But God's asking you and calling your generation, the ones that Jordan, that you're teaching and under your wing, to stand strong in this generation for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And guys, listen to what 1 Peter 4, 17-19 says. For it is the time for judgment to begin where? With God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The time is coming to be tested to see if we'll stand firm for Christ. Amen? Stay the course, brothers and sisters, if in fact He is your Lord and Savior, for you will, will be rewarded for your faithfulness. Do you hear me? And we already have. Sal said it in his prayer this morning. We already have. Do you realize we're saved? We are children of God. We went from being his enemies to his children, right? To being condemned, to being reconciled and having peace with God. What we have on this side of eternity can't compare to anything else, anything that the world can offer us. The blessings we have already in Christ are magnanimous. Magnanimous. We belong to God, His children. Do you hear me? We've moved from death to life. Eternal life. The blessings we have now. And listen, according to the Lord's own words, there's blessings waiting for us on the next side of eternity. Listen to Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Believe 
an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And in Revelation, the last book, Revelation 22, 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give to each person according to what he has done. And if Jesus Christ has made that promise, you can stand on the fact that there are rewards waiting for his faithful believers. Amen? So the Lord says, rejoice and be glad. In, in fact, we're persecuted for righteousness. And why? First of all, like I said, there are rewards here on this side of eternity as we're saved, and there's rewards awaiting us for our faithfulness. And look, Christmas is coming. I don't care what you buy your kids or, or your spouse or whoever. It ain't never going to be as good as what the Lord's got for us. Amen? Can't even imagine. Ah, mountains without ticks. I will love it. I won't get bit no more. Praise the Lord. All right, second look. It identifies us with Jesus Christ. Don't you want to be identified with the Lord? Amen? Don't you want people to know that you're a Christian? Listen to what it says in Acts 55, 40 to 41. This is after the apostles are questioned and rebuked by the Sanhedrin. They, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And why? It tells us in verse 42. gives us insight. Day after day in the temple courts, they went from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They got called in and were flogged. That means they were beaten. And for the Jews, it's only 39 times. But I'll tell you what. I got 26 hits in the behind with a two-by-four, and it was painful. I can't imagine being flogged 39 times. All right? So, and what did they do? Did they go, we can't talk about Jesus anymore. They're going to flog us. What did they do? They're in the temple courts the next day proclaiming the word and proclaiming the gospel because they counted it worthy to suffer for his name. They knew they were doing it right. Amen? Praise the Lord. Oh, you guys seem uh, all excited today. Basically, it says rejoice in the fact that you were counted worthy enough. It's a badge of honor. Can you imagine when we're in heaven? It'll be like Jaws. Remember Jaws? I got this scar when I was bit by a great white. Oh, I get this one when I was on the Indianapolis. We'll be in heaven going, oh, I got these when I was scourged for the Lord. I got these when I was nailed to the... But it'll be like a badge of honor, right? Oh, I guess not. And finally, let's realize, listen, we're in good company. We're in the company of the, the martyrs and the prophets who died before us. Praise God. Praise the Lord that we would be counted worthy. In this morning's message... Listen, the world cannot handle the righteous life that characterizes kingdom living. It's too convicting. It's a chastisement against their lifestyle and their proclaims, okay? They don't want to understand it, and it's not acceptable to them or from others, and they can't stomach it. So they may put on the smile and be nice. Oh, yes, that's your idea. When behind it, they're saying, drop dead. I, no way we're going to listen to you. Let's be honest. Come on. Listen, poverty in spirit is contrary to the pride of an unbelieving heart. We've got to be poor in spirit. Today, it's me first. Pride. The repented, contrite disposition that mourns over sin is never appreciated by the callous, indifferent, and unsympathetic world. And the meek and quiet in spirit that is wrong and doesn't retaliate is seen as weak. Oh, you're weak. Hit him back. 
to long after righteousness is repugnant to those whose hearts are hard and cruel. Purity of heart is a convicting light and exposes hypocrisy and, uh, and corruption. Peacemaking is a virtue that people speak with their lips, but they don't believe it in their heart. All these tolerant people once seem to be so tolerant, even though they talk peace and love. Amen? We see it right up to the U.N. And this morning, I'd like to end with a modest story that really gives us insight and in a scripture verse to tell us. John Chrysostom was a godly leader in the 4th century who preached so strongly against sin that he offended the political and religious leaders around him. And I'm going to say, oh me to that. I took everybody off. I went to a thing with Kathleen Rice. She had all the clergy from the area, 25 clergy people. And they're talking about the social issues, and she, she railed President Trump for like four minutes and how we need to do this and make our country better. And I stood up and said, you can't. Not until you stop abortion and perverting the marriage bed. Nothing, you can't do anything. There's no social program that's going to make this country better at pro-abortion. And the gentleman across from me, is a clergy person right here in Belmont, married to another man, told me my interpretation of the scriptures were wrong about homosexuality. So I got railed by clergy, and there was only one other preacher who stood this ground. But the others, they were all about the social gospel. So that's where we're at. So listen. When summoned before, when Chrysostom was summoned before Emperor Arcadius, Chrysostom was threatened with banishment if he did not stop his uncompromising preaching. Listen to his response. Sir, you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. Then I will slay you, Arcadius said. Nay, but you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ and God, came the answer. Your treasures will be confiscated, was the next threat, to which John replied, Sir, that cannot be either. My treasures are in heaven, where none can break in and steal. Then I will drive you from man, and you will have no friends left, was Arcadius's final desperate warning. That you can do neither, answered John, for I have a friend in heaven who said he will never leave me nor forsake me. Chrysostom was banished, first to our media, and then further away the Piteous on the Black Sea, to which he never came back and he actually died on the way. But never was his faith or his allegiance to Christ questioned. Never. So this leaves us with some questions this morning. How will we react? What will be our response in the face of being persecuted for righteousness or the name of Jesus? Will it be like John's? More than that, will it be like Jesus's? That says, not my will, but your will be done. Right to the cross. And let's finish with one last verse of Scripture where I think we should keep our minds and hearts. It's found in Colossians 1, 1 to 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Who's our priority? Who's our first love? Will that prove itself out, those words, if we say Jesus is my first love, Jesus is my priority? Will that play itself out in the midst of persecution, even to a small degree, in the midst of others who will stand for some of the things we stand against? Are we willing to proclaim it in love? Got me? In love. Not in harshness, not in self uh, pride or anything, but in love, stand on biblical. Are we willing to take that? And if the time should come 
I pray that you pray for me if I get up here and preach God's word and they lock me up and throw me in jail. Because guess what? Prison ministry. Woohoo! All right. Praise the Lord. So with that said, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your full counsel of your word. My God, you told us in your word that we may, not may, but will, face persecution in one way or another, in one degree or another, one form or another, for our faith in you and for righteousness. As we live a godly life, Lord, it will be convicting to those who have pressed down the truth because of wickedness and godlessness. Lord God, I pray that for your grace in those times of testing and trial, I pray that you would be with each one of us, that we would stand strong for you. I pray a hedge of protection around our children and our grandchildren, that you would protect them from the influences, the false ideologies, the lies, the anti-Christian, anti-biblical ideas that are out there, that you would protect their minds and their hearts. And Lord, that we would stand strong as the adults, that we would talk about these things when we walk along the road, when we sit down at home, at the dinner table, Lord, in their lives, that we would pour into them Jesus Christ so that they will grow and be strong in you. And Lord, I pray for us as adults that we'd be in the Word, leaning on your Spirit and being a witness for you, that even if it costs us, Lord, for one soul, it will be worth it. Father God, again, I pray for your grace. And Lord God, we thank you that even on this side of eternity for the multiple blessings that we have and, Lord, for what we have to look forward to because of our faithfulness, with the greatest blessing being, Lord Jesus, we will see you face to face and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest and the place I have prepared for you. What a blessing, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters. Keep us strong in the faith. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. amen. Whew.